a norm that creates conflicts is a perversion instead of is what the rule is supposed to do, namely to help us avoid conflicts. Only private or exclusive property makes it possible that all otherwise unavoidable conflicts can be avoided. A norm that would generate conflict, that creates conflicts, is contrary to the very purpose of a norm or a rule. The state is not only an institution that produces inferior goods, bad goods, low quality goods, uh, but it actually produces bads. That is to say, goods that are not really goods at all, what we call bads. The state is an agency that exercises a territorial monopoly of ultimate decision-making. If you can decide who is right and wrong in every case, even in cases involving yourself, then you will provoke and cause conflicts. And then, of course, decide these conflicts in your own favor. States will substitute legislation for law. They make the law. They make laws and say, it's all right if I hit you on the head sometimes. The norm that creates conflicts is a perversion. If you can decide who is right and wrong in every case, even in cases involving yourself, then you will provoke and cause conflicts. The institution of private property is definitely not just a convention, uh, because no alternative to it exists. Uh, only private or exclusive property makes it possible that all otherwise unavoidable conflicts can be avoided. And only the principle of property acquisition by acts of original appropriation, that is, of appropriating something that was previously unowned, makes it possible that conflicts can be avoided from the beginning of mankind on, so to speak, until its very, uh, very end. Because the first appropriator of something did not involve anyone in any conflict. He was the first one. Nobody else was there. So the first appropriation of something as private property is a conflict-free way of transferring something was previously some external thing into something that is private property. Why is Aaron happy? Hey, it's Jose Galison. Sorry, I accidentally clipped a little bit of that ad and the ass under that, but whatever, you guys can get over it. Uh, if you guys see my new glasses and you like them, make sure to comment below HH for handsome homie. Um, today, uh, I have Toad with me. I do want to remind you guys, you can find this show 
on YouTube, all major odd podcasters and Odyssey as well. But like I said, I have Toe with me. That means we're continuing our live reading series of Democracy, The God That Failed. This is the Secession chapter, so I know a lot of you guys will like this one. Uh, do let you guys know what's up with uh, how this the logistics of this works, um, uh, at least patron-wise. Uh, right now, these, pretty much everything except for my four pony boys and maybe the rare fluke, like, I don't know, maybe if I cover current events or something, is all going to be behind the paywall. Uh, it will be released roughly a, a week or so later publicly, but there will be that period in between where it will be just behind the paywall. Uh, aside from, like I said, the four pony boys and stuff like that. But uh, this, if you want to have access to the stuff in the meantime, you patreon.com says no way Jose 2020, the lowest level is two bucks. That gives you access to the content early. Uh, there's differing levels. There's five to 10, 20. Also, you can do custom amounts if you want. The $20 is a sponsor level. My sponsors are Mikel Thorpe of the Expat Money Show. I also have Jeremy who has an Etsy store at etsy.com slash shop slash raising liberty. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Jeremy Rhymes. And I have Toad, uh, of who is my co-host on Tower Gang. Uh, I keep forgetting to change my notes to Tower Gang from Tower Power Hour because we were rebranded. Uh, and then I also have, oh yeah, also Tower, Tower Gang. You can find that on YouTube, uh, Audio Podcatchers, Odyssey as well. We do really well on Spotify because we have video on Spotify. So if you want to check it out there, you can. But if you want to watch it live, you need to go to Odyssey or YouTube. Those are the options for live, and it's kind of a live show. Uh, it's fun. You know, you can join in. If you make good comments, we'll bring it up, talk about it. Uh, I, I do like the live experience. I think you guys will as well. I also have Zach Overacker. You can follow him on Twitter at Z-O-V-E-R-A-C-K, Zoverack, if you will. Uh, and like I said, it's patreon.com, no way, Jose 2020. I also do want to bring up the homie Top Lobster. Go to toplobster.com if you want to get some merch, some No Way Jose merch, some Tower Gang merch. You can get Liberty Lockdown, Natural Scapulous. There's other shows as well. And also stuff that's not show related. So if that's, uh, that's something you want to do, I'd appreciate it if you get some of my merch, you know, sh- the show that stuff around. Uh, with that, let's go and get Tony and get into it. Hell yeah. Hey, what's up, man? That's right. It's uh, HH for Hans Hoppe and SS for Sexy Secession. Let's go. Hell, hell yeah, let's do it. I do want to let you guys know that are watching this. Me and Toad are finally uh, about to be big boys, and we're getting good uh, good mics. Uh, I've been a poor for a while. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I guess I just had really, uh, I don't know if you call that low or high time preference, but I, I've just been putting off getting a good mic. I just started off with like a, I don't know, this thing probably only cost me like 30 bucks. But you know what? I got me a, a big boy one, cost me a few hundred. Again, mm. a nice nice one. Toad as well. Uh, the guy, yeah. the other guys at uh, Tower Gang kind of bullied us. We're like, hey, you guys' mics suck. And they're right. They do suck. Right. And we're, you know, the show's <laughs> about to be on Timcast, and we're still using cheapo mics, sounding like shit. So it was time to step it up. Uh, yeah. We're getting good mics. Uh, maybe soon we'll get like good, uh, get some good uh, fucking maybe good cameras or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm uh, improving my camera already. Just got a forty percent off deal on that, so I can look way sexier than I do. Uh, and yeah, I'll finally be replacing this shitty mic that I have here. I've been, I don't, yeah, I don't know if you want to call it. Maybe it's low time preference because we're being really cost effective. We're, uh, you know, we're starting the show with cheap ass mics i got my yeah. i don't know what the fuck brand this is it's moana or something yeah. <laughs> well, no there, is, there is something to this yeah. though for like people who want to get into podcasting or whatever there's such a low a low like jump in of like a uh, overhead to initially get in like oh yeah not that i'm me i'm big time or even tower gangs necessarily big time but like we've made it this far off of basically nothing i spent like 30 bucks on this mic I don't know how much I spent on the boom stand here. Like it holds it. 
I mean, yeah. I got a little webcam that probably cost 30 bucks as well. Yeah. My pretty much all this. Yeah. yeah. Huh? Black Friday deal. It was like 30 bucks probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just being cheapos. But uh, yeah, I don't know if you have anything, uh, any other small talk you want to do toad. Otherwise we can go ahead and get into it. Well, let's do it. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, chapter five on centralization and secession. Mm. A state is a territorial monopolist of compulsion, an agency which may engage in continual institutionalized property rights violations and the exploitation in the form of expropriation, taxation, and regulation of private property owners. Assuming no more than self-interest on the part of government agents, all states can be expected to make use of this monopoly and thus exhibit a tendency toward increased exploitation. On the one hand, this means increased domestic exploitation and internal taxation. On the other hand, and this aspect in particular will be interesting in the following, it means territorial expansion. States will always try to enlarge their exploitation and tax base. In doing so, however, they will come into conflict with other competing states. The competition between states qua territorial monopolists of compulsion is by its very nature an eliminative uh, uh, competition. That is, there can only be one monopolist of exploitation and taxation in any given area. Thus, the competition between different states can be expected to promote a tendency toward increased political centralization and ultimately one single world state. Oh, <laughs> the globalists. Globo homo. Uh, any thoughts on that? We're just kind of starting out. I don't feel like there's a whole lot to say on that. Just kind of stating just the, how things are. Yeah, uh, pretty much, yeah. Uh, essentially the idea of i mean governments in general is they seek to centralize uh, that is mm-hmm. that is the incentive it's just about having competing incentives the other way and different forms of government have uh you know uh will you know uh, essentially uh create further incentives or less incentives one way or the other so obviously this book uh, the case mm-hmm. made that democracy uh you know, it has far more incentives to centralize than something like monarchy. Monarchy has more competing incentives going the other way. So, right. Um, yeah. And as he has uh, pointed out before, he also has been talking about how uh, there has been centralization of power just within the U.S. as well. Yeah. Oh, uh, I did course. want to remind real quick, I forgot to say at the beginning uh, the intro, Romero Synth. Go check him out on YouTube. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you want to find more of those, he has other Hoppa ones, uh, and then he has like Kinsella one and some other stuff. So just check, go check him out if that's your thing. Uh, tell him I sent you if you found that interesting. Uh, he said it was completely cool to use these as intros. Not that I need his permission because we don't believe in IP over here, and neither does he. He's cool like that, but uh, you know, yeah. we're just polite, you know, because you know. Just, mm. yeah, it, well, yeah, if he does Kinsella ones, you know, he doesn't believe in IP. Yeah, for but, real. Yeah, and also, you know, as Hop was pointing out here, the uh, the state, of course, will want to expand uh, not only to increase its uh, tax base, but also to increase the voter base. Yes. Because the state can grow itself further if it has more voters as well. Yes, and uh, really it seems like the larger the democracy, the uh, worse it is, at least in reference to us. I mean, for them, uh, they love it, but... Uh... Yeah, the, 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 the more you expand it, the, uh, the worse the government becomes, if you will. So, A glance at Western history suffices to illustrate the validity of this conclusion. At the beginning of this millennium, for instance, Europe consisted of thousands of independent political units. Now only several dozen such units remain. 
To be sure, decentralizing forces also existed. There was a progressive disintegration of the Ottoman Empire from the 16th century until after World War I and the establishment of modern Turkey. The discontiguous Habsburg Empire was gradually dismembered from the time of its greatest expansion under Charles V until it disappeared and modern Austria was founded in 1918. And only recently before our very eyes, the former Soviet empire disintegrated. There are more, uh, now more than a dozen independent states in the soil of the former Soviet Union. The former Yugoslavia consists now of Slovenia, Croatia, Serbia, Macedonia, and Bosnia. And the Czechs and the Slovaks have split and formed independent countries. However, the overriding tendency was in the opposite direction. For instance, during the second half of the 17th century, Germany consisted of some 234 countries, 51 free cities, and 1,500 independent knightly manors. By the early 19th century, the total number of the three had fallen to below 50, and by 1871, unification had been achieved. The scenario in Italy was similar. Even smaller states have a history of expansion and centralization. Switzerland began in 1291 as a confederation of three independent uh, canon, uh, cantonal states. By 1848, it was a single federal state with some two dozen cantonal provinces. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he's he's just pointing out that, yeah, throughout Europe, there have been uh, forms of decentralization that have happened as well. Uh, you know, of course, uh, with like the Soviet Union and Yugoslavia, it kind of happened because those centralized governments uh, couldn't sustain themselves anymore. So then you had the different like ethnic groups are pretty naturally going to kind of split up and then they wind up forming their own states. And, yeah. you know, it is an improvement over what preceded it. Yeah. I mean, uh, with the centralization, there does come a point to where it overextends itself and it, you know, there you have a few options, uh, essentially it is uh, eventually gets to a point where it's just not sustainable, which this is kind of the issue with one world government in general, but I guess it's about a, um, a, Governments get more, or try to over the years, get more, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, get better at it in a sense. Uh, and uh, I don't know, maybe they form different forms of government, technocracy, what have you, that enable them to be able to sustain more centralization over time. Mm -hmm. It is kind of the, the larger to get, the, the harder it is for them to keep it together. It's kind of a, it, I mean, in a sense, that's kind of a, a competing incentive for them as well. Uh, in right. a sense, they get to a point where they just, it's not sustainable. Right. And I remember like all throughout uh, like high school and school, of course, they always kind of teach like the opposite and that centralization is good. And that like the U.S. maintaining the union during the Civil War was a good thing. You know, don't question it. And then our, in European history, I remember like talking about uh, the unification of Germany and Italy that he just brought up. And like that was uh, talked about as being a positive as well. Yeah. Even though you wound up getting, uh, you know, Hitler and, and Mussolini. Yeah. Uh, moreover, from a global perspective, mankind has come closer than ever before to the establishment of a world government. Even before the dissolution of the Soviet Empire, the United States had attained a hegemonical status over Western Europe and the Pacific Rim countries. As indicated by the presence of American troops and military bases by the NATO and CETO pacts, by the role of the American dollar as the ultimate international reserve currency and of the U.S. Federal Reserve System as the lender or liquidity provider of last resort for the entire Western banking system, 
and by institutions such as the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and the recently established World Trade Organization. In addition, under American hegemony, the political integration of Western Europe had steadily advanced. With the recent establishment of a European central bank and a, a European currency, the European community is near completion. At the same time, with the North American Free Trade Agreement, a significant step toward the political integration of the American continent has been taken. In the absence of the Soviet Empire and its military threat, the United States has emerged as the world's sole and undisputed military superpower and its top cop. Oh boy. Yeah. So he was writing this like kind of right as like the European Union had just formed, I think. And he's talking about uh, the establishment of the euro there. And, you know, very few of the European states uh, kind of stayed out of it. Like I think Switzerland is still not in the EU and there are a couple others and, you know, we had Brexit, right? So they're actually out of it now, but it's interesting uh, that, he, you know, he's also talking about NATO here and NATO has only expanded further and become even worse. And as he's talking about here with the Soviet uh, Union not being there anymore, we have the U.S., of course, uh, the U.S. and NATO uh, in current times basically taking over Ukraine and just being all along Russia's doorstep and, yeah, getting closer and closer to uh, that sort of um, – like, I don't know if you want to call it hegemony, but something yeah. like that. Oh, for sure. According to the orthodox view, centralization is generally a good and progressive movement, whereas disintegration and secession, even if sometimes unavoidable, represent an anachronism. It is assumed that larger political units and ultimately a single world government imply wider markets and hence increased wealth. As evidence of this, it is pointed out that economic prosperity has increased dramatically with increased centralization. However, rather than reflecting any truth, this orthodox view is more illustrative of the fact that history is typically written by its victors. Correlation or temporal coincidence do not prove causation. In fact, the relationship between economic prosperity and centralization is very different from, and indeed, almost the opposite of what orthodoxy alleges. And this right. is what you kind of touched on earlier, and we're about to dig into more. Yeah, and you know what has actually happened here is that... Um, you know, humans have continued to innovate and like become wealthier and stuff, despite there being a state uh, or states. And uh, I forget what else I was going to say. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's talking about um, how you're basically taught that you need like these larger and larger centralized governments in order to have more wealth and prosperity. And basically they're kind of conflating that with trade, even though, you of course don't need like one gigantic state in order to have, you know, all this, uh, you know, all these different uh, like resources and different things being produced all over the world. You can have a bunch of small states that are all trading with each other. So, um, you know, it's that difference between uh, like globalization and global free trade. I guess if you want to call it that way. They're totally different thing. Yeah. Political integration centralization and economic market integration are two completely different phenomena political integration involves the territorial expansion of a state's power of taxation and property regulation economic integration is the extension of the interpersonal and interregulational or interregional division of labor and market participation in principle in taxing and regulating private property owners and market income earners 
All government are, governments are counterproductive. They reduce market participation in the formation of economic wealth. Once the existence of a government has been assumed, however, no direct relationship between territorial size and economic integration exists. Switzerland and Albania are both small countries, but Switzerland exhibits a high degree of economic integration, whereas Albania does not. Both the U.S. and the former Soviet Union are large. Yet, while there is much division of labor, labor and market participation in the U.S., there was almost no economic integration in the Soviet Union, where mm. virtually no private capital ownership existed. Centralization, then, can go hand-in-hand with either economic progress or retrogression. Progress results when a, whenever a less taxing and regulating government expands its territory at the expense of a more ex- exploitative one. If the reverse occurs, centralization implies economic disintegration and retrogression. Right. So I think you could argue that, like, in the case of the United States or something like that, the U.S. built up a lot of wealth when it was a freer country and less centralized uh, than it is now. And, you know, now we're sort of uh, we're still wealthy, but it's because we had all that wealth built up already. So, you know, the government's uh, becoming more centralized and working to have the opposite effect, you know, is still kind of counterbalanced by, you know, the sheer amount of wealth that has been uh, created uh, prior to that. Yeah. And I and, do like the point that they make that just because they expand doesn't mean it's better, but it can be now. Like, let's like say 1776 United States was bordering, uh, you know, USSR at its peak. And for some reason, they, you know, the they ceded like a, the USSR ceded a quarter of their land to the United States and the United States took over ownership and maintained the same, uh, you know, taxation and such. Obviously, that would be better. But now if the reverse happened, that would be worse. So it's not necessarily uh, mm. as simple as, oh, centralization, good. And also you can make a case that, right. you know, centralization, there was more centralization of the USSR than the, the 1776 United States, uh, clearly. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, it's it's really it it doesn't it's it, like he's saying it can go hand in hand, but it, they're not they are different things and they don't necessarily go hand in hand. They can go hand in hand, or they can you know they can it can be to your detriment centralization in that, in, in a in a market sense uh, per se. Yeah, I mean, I would I would tend to argue that yeah, the centralization is going to you know mess with incentives and uh, yes have a negative impact. And I think, were you just uh, talking about the purchase of Alaska? <laughs> like, oh, I guess so. What are you sure. talking about? No, I wasn't particularly. Oh. But you know, he was just, uh, I mean, obviously in the previous paragraph, he was just comparing similar-ish size states and such. Oh, yeah. The yeah. point that it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't necessarily, centralization isn't necessarily a good thing. Uh, you know, although you could make a case, you know, that in a certain sense, you know, if uh, a state that had lower tax burdens did, mm-hmm. I'm sure, yeah, I know you, the incentives over time, it would probably make it worse. But, you know, at least pe- at the, the moment in time, it would be better in a sense. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, this, this sort of like makes me think of and kind of touches on also the uh, how you need to differentiate between um, like uh, what's uh, non interventionism and, uh, isolationism right mm-hmm. like uh you you don't want to actually be isolationist because you do want to trade with all these other countries so that you know each territory each country whatever can kind of uh, produce things that it's good at 
and you can trade that way and you you know you have those uh different the comparative advantage and stuff like that uh totally different than uh you know uh than intervention which you know of course is going to be expansion of territory and military intervention and such yep all right on to you your your turn now all right. Um, however, there is a highly important indirect relationship between size and economic integration. A central government ruling over large-scale territories, and even less so a single world government, cannot come into existence ab ovo. Instead, all institutions with the power to tax and regulate owners of private property must start out small. Smallness contributes to moderation, however. A small government has many close competitors, and if it taxes and regulates its own subjects visibly more than its competitors, it is bound to suffer from the emigration of labor and capital and a corresponding loss of future tax revenue. Consider a single household or a village as an independent territory, for instance. Could a father do to his son or a mayor to his village what the government of the Soviet Union did did to its subjects, i.e. deny them any right to private capital ownership or what governments across or what governments all across Western Europe and the U.S. do to their citizens, i.e. expropriate up to 50 percent of their productive output. Obviously not. There would be there would either be an immediate revolt and the government would be overthrown or emigration to another nearby household or village would ensue. Yep, making the case that smaller states actually tend to have more, uh, what's the word, economic integration. Yeah, and uh, we kind of saw what he was talking about during the COVID regime, uh, which we continue to bring up, uh, where you had like states like Florida that were uh, way less harsh on their uh, citizens as far as the lockdowns and stuff like that had a lot of people moving to that state and you had uh, places that were really harsh, like California and New York have people fleeing their states. So you had this, you know, competition between states in that way. Yep. Um, proved out there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Contrary to orthodoxy, then precisely the fact that Europe possessed a highly decentralized power structure composed of countless independent political units explains the origin of capitalism the expansion of market participation and of economic growth in the Western world. It is not by accident that capitalism first flourished under conditions of extreme political decentralization in the Northern Italian city-states, in Southern Germany, and in the secessionist low countries, the Netherlands. The competition among small states for taxable subjects brings them into conflict with each other. As a result of interstate conflicts historically drawn out over the course of centuries, a few states succeed in expanding their territories while others are eliminated or incorporated. Which states win in this process of eliminative competition depends on many factors, of course, but in the long run, the decisive factor is the relative amount of economic resources at a government's disposal. Through taxation and regulation, governments do not positively contribute to the creation of economic wealth. Instead, they parasitically draw on existing wealth. However, they can influence the amount of existing wealth negatively. Other things being equal, the lower the tax and regulation burden imposed by a government on its domestic economy, the larger its population tends to grow due to internal reasons as well as immigration factors. And the larger the amount of domestically produced wealth on which it can draw, 
on which it can draw in its conflicts with neighboring competitors. For this reason, centralization is frequently progressive. States which tax and regulate their domestic economies little, liberal states, and of course, liberal in the uh, old sense of the word, tend to defeat and expand their territories at the expense of non-liberal ones. This accounts for the outbreak of the Industrial Revolution in centralized England and France. It explains why in the course of the 19th century, Western Europe came to dominate the rest of the world rather than the other way around, and why this colonialism was generally progressive. Furthermore, it explains the rise of the U.S. to the rank of superpower in the course of the 20th century. Yeah, that last sentence was the, the point I was going to get to because it is mm. a weird phenomenon where the freer a state starts out, the worse it becomes later. And, and, and it is as fucked up as that kind of is. Um, you know, they you know build up capital during that period that they're able to exploit later, essentially. So. Right, exactly. So, yeah, the more wealth that has been produced, then the more there is for the state to exploit. Yeah. I mean, I guess it could almost, you could think of it as like raising sheep, like the, you know, the, the uh, maybe that's not the best example, but I'm thinking, is, or just some animal in general, the fatter you let them become, the more, the more you can profit off of it later, uh, you know, and obviously that's going to be to their detriment, but at the period of time, they're going to be like, this is fucking dope, you know, mm. <laughs> like, so... Yeah. Yeah, and and he does point out, yeah, that uh, of course these like more decentralized states are where uh, that kind of uh, like the the best like economic progress took place uh, during that time period. And he is also mentioning that um, you can have a centralized government that still doesn't like impose heavy tax burdens and stuff like that. And in, in a situation like that, you can have a centralized government where um, you know you're your country could still be producing wealth, even though I would uh, argue that the incentives are uh, going to be against that being the case. Yeah. However, the further the process of more liberal governments defeating less liberal ones proceeds, the larger the territories, the fewer and more distant the, the remaining competitors, and thus the more costly international migration. The lower a government's incentive to continue in its domestic liberalism will be. That's basically what we just described. As one approaches the limit of a one-world state, all possibilities of voting with one's feet against a government disappear. Wherever one goes, the same tax and regulation structure applies. Thus relieved of the problem of emigration, a fundamental reign on the expansion of governmental power is gone. This explains developments of the 20th century with World War I and even more so with World War II. The U.S. attained hegemony over Western Europe and became heir to its vast colonial empires. A decisive step in the direction of global unification was taken with the establishment of a Pax Americana. And indeed, throughout the entire period of the U.S., Western Europe, and most of the and most of the rest of the world have suffered from a steady and dramatic growth of government power, taxation, and regulatory Regulatory expropriation. In light of social and economic theory and history, then, a case for secession can be made. Yeah. One. Um, it's kind of a lot of what we that we already, you know, treaded earlier. So Kind of just, like, throughout, uh, I mean, throughout this entire book, really, he uh, continues to make, like, which is the main point in this chapter, that when you have... Um, uh, situation where you have a bunch of decentralized states, the states can get away with less, um, 
you know, exercising less power, being less tyrannical, I guess, over their citizenry because they're in competition with each other and they want to keep their voters, their tax base, whatever. Um, whereas, uh, as he's saying here, if you have a centralized government, there is nowhere to go. Like there's no competition. So you can't move out of, uh, you know, a more tyrannical state to a lesser tyrannical one or to a less yeah. tyrannical one. Yeah. Like with your COVID example, like theoretically, yeah. if every single state and, you know, province or whatever, you know, had the exact same policies, there would have been no immigration to Florida like there was. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of what they're getting at. Mm. And, you know, that's kind of the issue is why we push back into the federal government. A lot of, you know, especially constitutionalists will, you know, or, you know, uh, will push for the fact of like each state needs to have more power, uh, you know, because it allows this, you know, f experiment between the states to where you can move from one to the other. Whereas a lot of people, you know, typically, you know, the Democrats will usually push for, you know, the federal government to grow and to expand its power and, you know, kind of institute its rules in each individual state to where they're borderline synonymous. And then this removes your ability to be able to move from one to the other or or even not move from one to the other, just have that idea of the competition between the two. Right. I forgot to point out uh, uh, the uh, ob ovo in the previous page or whatever means like from out of nowhere or like from the beginning. So he was saying that like a centralized state can't just appear from out of nowhere. Like you need to have a situation where you have a bunch of decentralized uh, states or people first uh, before, you know, uh, centralization can occur. Yep. Initially secession is nothing more than a shifting of control over the nationalized wealth from a larger central government to a smaller regional one. Whether this leads to more or less economic integration and prosperity depends largely on the new regional government's policies. However, the act of secession in itself has a positive impact on production. For one of the most important reasons for secession is typically the belief on the part of the secessionists that they and their territory are being exploited by others. The Slovenes felt, and rightly so, that they were being robbed systematically by the Serbs and the Serbian-dominated Central Yugoslavian government. The Baltic people resented the fact that they had to pay tribute to the Russians and the Russian-dominated government of the Soviet Union. By virtue of secession, hegemonic domestic relations are replaced by contractual, mutually beneficial foreign relations. Instead of forced integration, there is voluntary separation. Forced integration is also illustrated by measures such as busing, renting controls, affirmative action, anti-discrimination laws, and as will be explained shortly, free immigration invariably creates tension, hatred, and conflict. In yeah. contrast, voluntary separation leads to harmony and peace. Under forced integration, any mistake can be blamed on a foreign group or culture and all success claimed as one's own. Hence, there is little reason for any culture to learn from another. Under a regime of separate but equal, one must face up to the reality not only of cultural diversity, but in particular of visibly different ranks of cultural advancement. If a secessionist people wishes to improve or maintain its position vis-a-vis -a, -vis a competing one, nothing can discriminate learning, uh, uh, nothing, can discrimi nothing but discriminative learning will help. It must imitate, assimilate, and if possible, improve upon the skills, traits, practices, and rules characteristic of more advanced societies, and it must avoid those characteristic of less advanced societies. Rather than promoting a downward, downward level, uh, downward leveling of cultures as cultures as under forced integration, secession stimulates a cooperative process of cultural selection and advancement. And I do mm. want to say, uh, 
this really he did totally evoke like the civil rights movement and i 100 percent agree and this is why i typically actually take the side of malcolm x over mlk because malcolm was not pushing for forced integration Mm-hmm. He wanted to kind of be their own thing. And yeah. MLK, I mean, I don't know I don't know if he necessarily was pushing for it, but he was friendly to the idea of it at least. And yeah, there is something to that. I, I don't think with the civil rights movement, there should have been this forced integration. Uh, I don't think right. there should have been a, a forced segregation either. Uh, you, know, you know, so like, I don't think it should have been a government forcing separation. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I don't think it should have been this thing where we're going to force you to do this, we're going to force you to do that. We're going to make you go to school. We're going to make you do that. That right. way you guys intermingle uh, because all that does is cause problems between groups. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. You should not have either of those. Of course, you should uh, be allowing uh, people to like form their own groups, like how they want to and things like that. Um, there was a lot in this paragraph because he's talking about how uh, when you have like a centralized government, like the Soviet Union, and I think he was talking about Yugoslavia and stuff like that, you have – all these separate like ethnic groups and some of them are going to wind up uh, resenting others because they see these others as like dominating them. Well, like I'm not one of you. So why should I have to, you know, adhere to your like laws that I don't agree with or something like that. And then, you know, something that a lot of, uh, you know, like the, if you want to call them the regime type of libertarians, uh, definitely, uh, don't uh, really think about in the right way here when he's, he's talking about um, immigration and uh, how immigration is actually a form of uh, forced integration. Uh, Whereas if you were to like, just let everybody, you know, kind of separate and have their own separate uh, territories and stuff like that, uh, you wouldn't really have that issue. Yeah. Uh, I do also like, uh, what point did he bring up? Uh, Fuck. I forgot. Uh, Oh, the motivation uh, between of secession, because mm-hmm. theoretically, uh, you know, technically, a secession doesn't make anything better. You can secede, and there can be states that have worse policies. But generally speaking, mm-hmm. if a state, especially an individual state, uh, secedes, it's going to generally be because they're feeling exploited. That's the point he's getting at. Although I guess that doesn't necessarily hold true. There is a secession, a secession movement in California because there are people in like Cali uh, who yeah. really do love Cali and think that you know, oh, everyone's living off of us and. To be fair, there is some extent. I do. I know Cali has a lot, a lot of farmland and stuff like that. So there's some, you know, truth to it to yeah. some extent. But also, a lot of their policies are so you know, shit that it it would not work out well if they were on state. But I'm all for them mm-hmm. doing it. But uh, you know, it's not it's not 100 true. But that it, there is something to the idea that generally speaking, the the motivation of a state to break off from one to the other is, uh, you know, it it's because they they have a desire to break off because they think they're being exploited because they want this way of life this is their group and even in the case of like california like they seem to believe like the people who want to secede if they're able to gen up enough people who believe this way in a sense it's kind of the you know you can almost make the civil rights comparison we were making uh, before these are two different groups and the idea that they're being forced to integrate with this other group is only going to cause conflict because they have a strong belief that they're being exploited and that they you know, that this other group is against them. So it's better to be able to let them break off and be like, hey, okay, fine. And then if that goes to shit, then at least it can be like, that's their fault. Like, okay, you know, yeah. like, you know. Right. So. Yeah, and then like even even within California, you have like people that are like vastly different. Like Northern yes. California is totally different than Southern California. And like the more rural areas of California are certainly different than the cities. 
uh, you know, so you could see, you could imagine like a, a huge, uh, there's potential for like a huge breakup where, uh, you know, I mean, that would be kind of ideal in the situation of the U.S. that you have people uh, breaking up into much, much smaller uh, territories and states and doing, you know, what they want to do. And I, I will still say that, you know, if like if California were to secede or something like that, like in the case of secession, like, yes, you can have a territory that is certainly worse uh, than another one as far as their government is concerned. But it, there's still like that incentive there that's kind of like pushing them like, hey, you know, once we realize, well, we can't maintain this and we're like losing all of our people to Florida or something like that, they're kind of going to have to change some things. Yeah. All right. On to you. All right. Uh, moreover, while everything else depends on the new regional government's domestic policies and no direct relationship between size and economic integration exists, there is an important indirect connection. Just as political centralization ultimately tends to promote economic disintegration, so secession tends to advance integration and economic development. First, secession always involves the breaking away of a smaller from a larger population and is thus a vote against the principle of democracy and majoritarian rule in favor of private decentralized ownership. More importantly, secession always involves increased opportunities for inter-regional migration and a secessionist government is immediately confronted with the threat of emigration. So that's kind of what I was just referring to. To avoid the loss, in particular, of its most productive subjects, it comes under increased pressure to adopt comparatively liberal domestic policies by allowing more private property and imposing a lower tax and regulation burden than its neighbors. Ultimately, with as many territories as separate households, villages, or towns, the opportunities for economically motivated emigration is maximized and government power over domestic economy minimized. Yep. I mean, that really is entirely just the point you were making with California. Even even in the example of a government we would seem to be shittier, it, it changes their incentives to, you know, like I was saying, they can no longer blame it on other people. I mean, I guess they can to some extent, but it, it makes their case for blaming it on other states uh, less weak or less yeah. strong or more weak. I mean, you know. Right. So. And, and the incentives wind up being set up such that, you know, these smaller territories are going to be more productive producing more because they have uh you know less of a like regulation burden on them and the incentives are going to be set up so that these territories are not only producing but they're trading with each other because hey this territory is good at making this thing we're good at making this thing we should trade because that's mutually beneficial so it sets up a situation where all of that comes in line like all the incentives line up uh in a more uh free trade uh way there yeah uh specifically the smaller the country the greater will be the pressure to opt for free trade rather than protectionism i'm not even reading ahead <laughs> he just starts talking about what i was just saying all government uh interference with foreign trade forcibly limits the range of mutually beneficial interterritorial exchanges and thus leads to relative impoverishment at home as well as abroad but the smaller territory and its internal markets, the more dramatic this effect will be. A country the size of the U.S., for instance, might attain comparatively high standards of living, even if it renounced all foreign trade, provided it possessed an unrestricted internal capital and consumer goods market. 
In contrast, if predominantly Serbian cities or countries seceded from surrounding Croatia, and if they pursued the same protectionism, this would likely spell disaster. Consider a single household as the conceivably smallest secessionist unit. By engaging in unrestricted free trade, even the smallest territory can be fully integrated into the world market and partake of every advantage of the division of labor, and its owners may become the wealthiest people on earth. The existence of a single wealthy individual anywhere is living proof of this. On the other hand, if the same household owners decided to forego all inter interterritorial trade, abject poverty or death would result. Accordingly, the smaller a territory in its internal markets, the more likely it is that it will opt for free trade. Yep. Yep. Uh, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. I don't really have much to add to that. Uh, means uh, I mean, that's kind of what I was just talking about before yeah. I yeah, read that off. And then, you know, he kind of makes the point that like essentially the fact that any individual is wealthy is actually proof uh, of that uh, yes. point there. Yeah, it's uh, kind of the um, – what's the word where you kind of drive it to its logical conclusion? Um, reductio ad absurdum. Reductio ad absurdum, yeah. I guess, yeah. So, right, uh, because, yeah, like the individual is essentially actually the smallest secessionist unit that you can think of. An individual can't produce everything that they need on their own, obviously, and it kind of gets into like the eye pencil uh, point as well where it's like you need to trade. Like that's how I have all the stuff, you know. All right. Moreover, secession also promotes monetary integration. The process of centralization has also resulted in uh, monetary disintegration. The destruction of the former international commodity uh, money, st uh, money standard, uh, gold that being, and its replacement with a dollar-dominated system of freely fluctuating government paper monies, a global U.S.-led government counterfeiting cartel. However, a system of freely fluctuating paper currencies, the Freemanite monetarist ideal, is strictly speaking no monetary system at all. It is a system of partial barter, dysfunctional of the very purpose of money uh, of facilitating rather than complicating exchange. This becomes obvious once it is recognized that from the point of economic theory. There is no special significance attached to the way national borders are drawn. Yet if one then imagines a proliferation of even smaller national territories, ultimately to the point where each household forms its own country, Freeman's proposal is revealed for what it is, an outright absurdity. For if every household were to issue its own paper currency, the world would be right back at barter. No one would accept anyone else's paper, economic calculation would be impossible, and trade would come to a virtual standstill. It is only due to centuries of political centralization and the fact that only a relatively small number of countries and national currencies remain, and hence that the disintegrative consequences and calculational difficulties are far less severe that this could have been overlooked. From this theoretical insight, it follows that secession, provided it follow, uh, proceeds far enough, will actually promote monetary integration. In a world of hundreds of thousands of independent political units, each country would have to abandon the current fiat money system, which has been responsible for the greatest worldwide inflation in all of human history, and once again adopt an international commodity money system such as a gold standard. Yeah, that's uh, pretty interesting because, yeah, like he's saying there, if you decentralize as much as possible and you have all these individual, like really small units, they can't just be yeah, creating their own currency because nobody else is going to have it. Nobody else is going to use it. It doesn't make any sense. So they would have to resort back to something 
that actually has like some sort of intrinsic value, uh, like gold. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's really not much. It's a good, it's a really good point. I, I do like that, how he applies it into secession and how this works. And you know, if you do secede down to the smallest unit, then it really does. It completely destroys the fiat system because the fiat right. system is just a hundred percent just upheld by governments in general. So, you know, yeah, I mean, the smaller you make the states, the more states are likely to break away from it. The less, you know, the then they're they're less likely to use said fiat money in trade, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it probably makes sense to have some sort of uh, medium of exchange there, but like the people would be able to determine what it is, and with all these secessionist uh, units, it would have to be something that they all see as valuable, like I said, which could be like gold or something like that. And then also, very importantly, that is you know something. Uh, that is going to actually maintain its value. Uh, and you can't just create more of out of thin air, yes. uh, which is what fiat currency is. So, yep. Secession and the growth of separatist and regionalist movements throughout the world represent not an anachronism, potentially the most progressive historical forces, especially in light of the fact that with the fall of the Soviet Union, we have moved closer than ever to the establishment of a new world order. Secession increases ethnic, linguistic, religious, and cultural diversity, while centuries of centralization have stamped out hundreds of distinct cultures. Secession will end the forced integration brought about by centralization, and rather than stimulating social strife and cultural leveling, it will promote the peaceful, cooperative competition of different territorial separate cultures. In particular, it eliminates the immigration problem increasingly plaguing the countries of Western Europe as well as the U.S. Presently, whenever the central governments permit immigration, it allows foreigners to proceed literally on government-owned roads to any of its residents' doorsteps, regardless of whether or not these residents desire such proximity to foreigners. Thus, to a large extent, free immigration is forced integration. Secession solves this problem by letting smaller territories have each have their own admission standards and determine independently with whom they will associate on their own territory and with whom they prefer to cooperate from a distance. Once again, that's something you brought up earlier. <laughs> yeah, now now we're, we're starting to get into Hoppe's uh, supposed uh, xenophobia here, even though uh, there's a good point here where he's talking about if you have all these different uh, – you know, decentralized uh, states or territories or whatever you want to call them, there actually becomes like a cultural competition too to try to keep those people there. Like we want to have this like awesome culture, you know what I mean? Whereas if you centralize, uh, you know, like all the incentives, including that one line up uh, such that uh, people don't even really give a shit about that. And you have this like civilizational decline. It's crazy. Yeah. And uh, you know, with this whole immigration, a lot of libertarians probably get mad about it. Mm. I mean, the immigration problem, this has been talked about to death. It really is. There's like yeah. no, there's kind of almost no right answer because both, you know, whether you have closed borders or open borders, it just, you're kind of fucking over people either way. And right. it's, you know, obviously the ideal is private borders. So, you yes. know, theoretically, if you ultimately brought secession down to the individual unit, you know, the private, the individual person, you would be the one making that decision. Do you want to allow this person into your home on your property? What have you? Or would you or do, would you or say, would you let this person buy this property that you own and live in it or whatever? You know, like that is ultimately private borders is the, the ultimate, uh, you know, you know, fix to this. But in a certain sense, I guess if you break down the idea of secession, you know, and break it down smaller and smaller, 
or not secession, immigration, and you break it down smaller, smaller, vis-a-vis, -vis, uh, maybe vis-a-vis -vis is not the right word, but using secession, uh, you know, it kind of yeah. sort of gets it closer to what the actual private thing is, if yeah. you will. Uh, via you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what, but maybe via, via secession. Yeah, yeah. I don't fucking, via secession. Yeah, that's what yeah. the word I was looking for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, yeah. I, I think that makes sense, especially when you look at it from that way. You know, a right. I, I think a small, you know, a state, the say a government the size of a town having uh, border restrictions is is more just than a you know a government the size of united states having border restrictions because it's it's right. obviously more accepted among those people because there's likely a better buy-in since it's a smaller unit you know right so right so if the state is so we're in a situation where we have you know a state and we have a lot of uh public territory government owned territory if you want to call it that within uh those borders it's like a tragedy the common situation and you kind of have to then determine well like who are the most like rightful owners of that well you know does it make sense that it would be like the people that pay more uh, into taxation like that they should have more of a say you know something like that i think does make more sense uh you know than somebody that is going to be, uh, you know, a net, uh, tax receiver or something like that. Um, and yeah, uh, both, uh, closed borders and open borders, those, neither of those are libertarian solutions. Uh, if you have the government controlling who is coming in or who is not allowed to come in, that is not libertarian. Uh, but, uh, it seems like a lot of people, uh, can't, uh, wrap their heads around the open borders part of it. Also not being a libertarian solution. Um, uh, which as he's pointing out here, it becomes a force integration, you know, into all this uh, public territory that exists. Yep. All right. I'll let you finish out with the last chat, uh, last paragraph and we'll get out of here. All right. Lastly, secession promotes economic integration and development. The process of centralization has resulted in the formation of an international U.S. dominated government cartel of managed migration, trade, and fiat money, ever more invasive and burdensome governments, globalized welfare, warfare, statism, and economic stagnation or even declining standards of living. Secession, if it is extensive enough, could change all this. The world would consist of tens of thousands of distinct countries, regions, and cantons, and of hundreds of thousands of independent free cities, such as the present-day oddities of Monaco, Andorra, San Marino, Liechtenstein, Hong Kong, although maybe not anymore, and Singapore. So, uh, and of course, you know, like Monaco, Liechtenstein, those are uh, modern-day, like, small uh, independent kingdoms or principalities, essentially. Uh Greatly increased opportunities for economically motivated migration would result, and the world would be one of small liberal governments economically integrated through free trade and an international commodity money such as gold. It would be a world of, of unheard of prosperity, economic growth, and cultural advancement. All right. I don't have much to add to that one. That's just kind of putting a bow on everything we talked about so far. So unless yeah. you have something to add to it... Uh... That's that his uh, 10,000 Lichtensteins, man. And yep. yeah, that's just, he's summing up uh, all the stuff that you just talked about uh, in this chapter. So I don't know. Well, all right, man, you want to go ahead and drop plugs and we'll get the hell out of here. Yeah. Uh, at Tower Gang Toad on Twitter and Jose and I do the Tower Gang podcast with 
Fat Dave, a.k.a. Cole, Clint from Liberty Lockdown, Top Lobsa, and sometimes Reed Coverdale. And it is an offensive comedy podcast every Wednesday at 9.11 p.m. And we have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash towergangpod. We are uh, on Twitter. We're trying to get up to 100 Rumble subscribers as well. Everything is Tower Gang Pod. Uh, and if we reach that, we can live stream on Rumble as well. Um, we're doing an episode tomorrow night, and it's going to be funny, as usual. Yeah, I mean, this will be released like a week later. So that episode oh, will already damn, be that's up. right. Uh, so, uh, I mean, there'll be it's an episode every Wednesday. So, I mean, when this comes out, I'm not sure what True. day I'll drop this. Uh, I think I typically drop these ones usually on Thursdays. I don't know. I'm about to go on a cruise, so I think I might be doing one episode a week for a couple of weeks, and those will probably drop on Wednesdays if I do that. Uh, so, um uh yeah i don't i don't know because there will be i will drop content while i'm on the cruise so just so you guys watching this you know watching the public content won't even really notice any sort of break it'll probably you know like i said maybe a week maybe two where it'll just be one episode to compensate for not recording during that time uh but yeah so i will be gone in that period while i'm gone on the cruise so just a reminder tower gang will be going on timcast and when i say tower gang it will be clint russell top lobster and maybe uh, uh fat dave we haven't gotten confirmation on that i'm hoping they let us bring a third i think if that if the deal is if they do let us bring a third we have to uh, pay for it out of our own pocket which that's fine uh we're completely okay with that uh so you know i think this episode should probably should definitely drop before the uh, timcast episode uh it'll be this january 17th is when we will be on timcast uh when i say we those individuals hopefully we get a return appearance so if you are a fan of my show or tower gang or both I highly suggest you be in there. If you want, please send some super chats. Uh, let them know. Also, even more particularly after the fact, be, make sure to be telling them on social media, hey, that was a good episode. We enjoyed them, whatever. Make sure they come back because they did tell us that if we did well, they, they're open to letting us come back on the following month. And that would allow me, Reed, and possibly Toad, depending if we're doing three. Uh, you know, Ideally, the perfect situation, in my opinion, is we get they allow, allow us through three episodes and we do teams of two. Two, two, two. That would be awesome. Yeah, three yeah. straight months or something like that. Yeah, but I, I doubt that'll happen to get three. That's, that's getting a little greedy. They didn't give us anything saying that. Uh, I would like to get all of us over there, but uh, I'm really hoping uh, they let us do three for each because that'd be even better. So, uh, well, not better. I mean, obviously, the ideal situation three is Three episodes two. would be better because it's more exposure. But yeah. yeah, but I just think there's less of a chance of that happening. Yeah. So it's like, I'd rather let us go three. That way we know, like, okay, cool. We probably can get three for the following one. Uh, so, mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, yeah, like, if there is a second one, that'll be me, Reed, and Toad, depending on how the teams work. If it's three teams of two, it'll be uh, uh, Fat Dave and Toad for the third one. Yeah, I still think I should be paired up with Fat Dave. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like uh, you. It's Fat a good Dave. pairing. Like, that'll yeah. be a good pairing. It's just I don't know if they're gonna. Uh, you know, I, I I just I really hope just for the sake of like kind of you know securing the bag type deal that they let it, they'll uh, they'll do three each. So, but point being, uh, you know, just tune in for that. Make sure to let them know on social media that you enjoyed it. I mean, assuming you did or lie, I don't care. I just want to come back on for a second one. I want to I want to get high with Ian and play with Cassandra's monkeys, so uh, it'll be fun. Uh, but yeah, you can find me. Um, you know, this is obviously this is a No Way Jose show. You can find this on YouTube, all the major all packages, Odyssey as well. If you want to follow me on Twitter at Senor Jose twenty twenty. I think I might rebrand here soon because you know, but uh, I think I might go to like Tower Gang Jose or something. Uh, yeah, you know. So we'll we'll see. Uh, I'm waiting to see. I think uh, Top might be making me a profile pic. So so we'll see. 
but yeah, you can follow me on Facebook as well if you want. I don't really ever do anything on there, but you know, maybe it's a smart idea if you really want to follow me as a backup because uh, you know, in case I get nuked off Twitter again. But if you want to support me, patreon.com snowyjose2020. Make sure to send a like, share, subscribe, comment, all that. Like I said, you know, if you like my glasses, you think I look cute, give me a HH in the in the in the comments. You know, handsome homie. Um, SS for sexy stud. Let's exactly. Go. Yep. And with that, we are out. Appreciate everyone who you know ends up watching this. I love you guys. Appreciate all the support, especially you know you guys are what you guys are what got us on Timcast for Tower Gang. So I uh, appreciate it. And That's right. with that, we are out. Peace. Well.